Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. There you go, Eno. You're official now. Whenever you have the voice lady... Get the sponsor before your show. It's now official. <laughs> Move it on up. <laughs> yeah, really good stuff. It. And we love field work and love the uh, love the idea. I mean, who doesn't like beer coming to your front door? Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. And uh, they're they're so great because of the they're just so great across all styles. And you know, it's cool too. Their tap room approach has just been to be like local. They don't really distribute, you know, nationally. They don't worry about that. Uh, you don't really find it in your grocery store. You find it in your neighborhood. So that, that eight tap room approach is like, oh, they're in San Leandro. They're yeah. in San Mateo. You know, and you can find them nearby. Yeah, cool. it doesn't make it for like, oh, I got to go 30, 40 minutes away to get my favorite beer. They're going to they're they're in all these different locations. So they're in your market. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. The big thing for me is I said, having read that book, The Tipping Point, I said earlier this year that basically these front office people have outsmarted themselves. And boy, <laughs> the smart people don't like to be told that they're not smart. But with their whole data and whatever they got that says that, you know, we need to stop pitching starters long in games and go to new arms and go to the bullpen. I said, this is the year, the tipping point when it falls apart. And you've come out with an article that shows teams that do a lot of back-to-backs, teams that do back-to-back-to-backs, how they have fared this year, how they have struggled, and they've had to do that because they don't allow their starters to go long. And now the new wrinkle which I talked about a long time ago, that's really going to uh, it's really gonna show the main issue here, rear its ugly head, as they like to say, <laughs> is they used to be able to call up a bazillion guys from AAA or from wherever in their minor league system with the September call-ups, and like Maybelline, they could cover it up. Well, now <laughs> you can't cover that up anymore. So you got these struggling bullpens, who are overworked, and oh, by the way, you know, you got a whole nother month of baseball to go. 
Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that intro. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a lot of things in a lot of different directions coming to a point. And, you know, one of the things is, for example, for a long time, we had starting pitchers go, you know, five and a half, six innings on average. So the bullpen went three. And then some guys in the front office said, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Why do we have starters who have this ERA go six innings when, and then relievers who have a run lower ERA go three innings? That doesn't make sense. We should have relievers go more because they're pitching better. So it started to coalesce, and now it's actually to the point where it's about four and a half innings each. <laughs> the starters pitch about four and a half innings, and the relievers pitch about four and a half innings, and guess what? Their ERAs are the same. <laughs> we wow. pushed it. We pushed it to the point where now relievers and starters are the same because we're asking so much out of our relievers that and so little out of our starters that it's kind of come to the to the point where they're equal. Um, so if you look over, there's a chart in my piece uh, about this in the Athletic where if you look at if you look at over time uh, the number of back to backs, the number of back to back to backs, and the number of four out plus. Uh, appearances by both relievers it just goes up and up and up and up and up yes but if you look at the last three years back to back to backs have gone down back to backs have gone down and four out uh, appearances have gone back up a little bit so there we're in the middle right now where teams are being like wow if we really are going to get four and a half innings out of our relievers every night and we can't just call up a guy because the new rule that you're referring to is that you can only option a guy three times before you, you lose them to waiver wire. So if we can't just keep optioning guys, uh, then, you know, we're, and we don't want to hurt all our guys, you know, cause there's, we're getting a little better understanding what, what fatigue does, what rest does, you know, what, what that needs. Um, we're getting to a point where we can't get any more out of the bullpen. <laughs> like we, we, we've come to that's a, point a big where statement right it. there yeah and you're maxed you know, out yeah we're maxed out we're maxed out and so there are teams uh that are trying to develop these uh two inning guys right and three inning guys and i think that's an interesting idea so you in your fourth or fifth starter maybe you only want them going four and there's plenty of uh, uh of starters that you can think of when you think of this, but maybe you only want your guy going four or five. Maybe James Caprellian is way better if he just goes four, you know, and then you have your long reliever who comes in and he pitches two. Then you get to your traditional three innings in the in the back of the, in the bullpen. Um, I like that idea. What the uh, piece explored was that a lot of the teams that were doing that were teams that are in transition, like the Orioles and the Pirates. And so they would they were trying things out. And they, they had more leeway, you know, the yeah. pirates, uh, the giants weren't doing that because they were trying to win every game. You know, the, uh, the Dodgers weren't doing that because, you know, they're, they're trying to win every game. So, uh, and then I just, I looked at the role of Will Crow, who is a guy who was a starter, started the season as a good two inning guy. And guess what happens if you're a manager and you have a good two inning guy, you're like, well, dude, I want that guy every night. Even if you're the pirates. Yeah. Even if you're the pirates, yeah. like, I don't really have a, a setup guy and you're asking me to, to pitch this guy two innings and then not have him for two days. No, nah, dude, if, if we're going to win <laughs> any game, like I, I want a setup guy. And so Will Crow over the course of the season became a one inning guy. And he literally said to me, I pitched myself out of the two inning role. 
And I think that's something that would happen almost any time. The only guy who's kind of stayed in it all year is Colin McHugh, who's just like a steady veteran on a really good bullpen, right? Like they have Iglesias, they have Matzek, they have Minter, they have, uh, you know, Kenley Jansen. So they can afford to be like, Colin, we want you for two innings. That's what we want out of you. Uh, but if your bullpen has any tightness to it, the manager's like, yo, I need to win tonight. I don't even know. One of my the guys I talked to for the piece said, we have all these models and we have all these numbers, but the models don't have in it, will I have a job next year? Ooh. You know, as the manager. Ooh. See, there's where you start to look <laughs> at a like. And that becomes one of the big rifts in our game right now is you have the front office wants to run everything, but the front office, when it goes bad, doesn't meet with the media every day, doesn't go down to the dugout before the and game. who are they, they going to fire first? And they're not going to fire themselves. Yeah, yeah so th- this is where it becomes a tough thing. Is like you're listening to these managers, right, when we're with, like, let's say a Mark Kotze or a Gabe Kapler in the Bay Area, And you go down to the dugout and everybody's asking them questions and kind of rolling their eyes because they know the front office is making a lot of these calls. And then after the game, you're talking to the manager and he's in a tough spot because he's doing what the front offices want. So they're making all the calls, but yet they don't want to have to answer for them. At what point, what do you do as a manager to kind of save your own behind? Uh, You know, I, I... I've been thinking about this personally uh, for uh, for you know, there's some subtext there, but if I've been thinking about this personally, but uh, the job you take is super important. And yeah. the, you know, the promises they make may, they may break them. They may, they may not, they may be not on board. You know, obviously promises are being broken in Colorado where the research and development part department has quit in mass twice. All of them have quit. All of them have quit. In Just the last walk two years. out. Say see ya. Yeah. So obviously wow. there's something going on there where they promise those analytics guys something. And, and then we're like, oh, maybe can you do some laundry too? So, uh, you know, there's that's a that's a whole nother thing. But I think, you know, taking the right job is huge. Um, and, and I think that's something that Joe Madden even said, right? I don't know that I agree with Joe Madden on everything. I think that the manager should be in a collaborative position with the front office and should have his say, but also kind of work with the front office on things like setting lineups and so forth. Uh, and he thinks maybe the manager should have more control over that. However, the thing that he said that really resonated with me was like, I'm not taking another job unless I'm convinced that it fits me. You know, and if it's if it's what I want out of the job, you know, it makes me think of the Golden State Warriors, where it really is everybody pulling on the same rope. And Steve Kerr, they're not telling Steve Kerr, you have to do this and you have to do that. And, and, and I mean, they work together. It's very healthy with their analytics, their head coach, their head coach obviously was a GM. He is uh, he's bought into that. So. Uh, if you could get every, if you get that kind of mix where everybody's working together, it, it would be good. But I just get the sense we're not seeing a lot of that. And uh, yeah, yeah. go ahead. You know what? What works against that? 
Um, so in baseball, you're not you're not paying as well, especially for analytics and, and for uh, the you know a lot of the front office positions. You're not playing paying these people as much as you could in other industries, right? So an analytics guy could work for a team for 60, 70 percent of what he could work for, you know, con- KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, or PepsiCo, or whatever, right? Google because or those, Amazon, yeah, yeah, exactly. All those guys are going to pay them more. Um, and so what happens is there's a lot of turnover. So some guys for the love of the game, they'll go in, they'll work in the game. And if they, if they find themselves doing laundry, instead of doing the analytics they were supposed to do, um, they're out. And so the response in the game has been something called siloing. And so what, what that is, is, uh, the Dodgers, Yankees, a lot of the big places that spend a lot of money on analytics, what they do is, Hey, this is your, this is your sandbox. You're going to work on this. You're going to model this aspect. You're going to work on this little thing. One thing. You're not going to get to see the whole thing. Because if you saw the whole thing and someone else hired you or you left, you know, what would we do? And so siloing is something that the big teams do in order to protect themselves, to protect uh, their knowledge. And it makes sense from their standpoint. But what you're talking about doesn't really work that well if everyone's siloed. Right? And so what what happens is... This is like government. This is like... Top secret stuff, and you only get to see this, and then you yeah. you only have clearance for that. Not everybody yeah. gets to see the tie. You know, where are the aliens buried? Where are the spaceships? <laughs> you only get to see how. Yeah, wow, that's kind of and and how do you how do you have how do you foster a sense of teamwork yeah. and collaboration if not everybody can see everything? Um, and so what happens then is you get sort of a directive on high, you know. And I think there we had an example of this recently. The directive on high was Sonny Gray. You throw your high spin fastball high in the zone because we've done the research. Throw it high in the zone. You know, we're going to tell the pitching coach what to do from on high. We're going to say, tell Sonny Gray to throw the high fastball, the, the high fastball and to throw the slider in the zone. Now, Sonny says, and he says it to me later. I did a piece on it at the, at the, at the athletic. Sonny says to me later, I, I I'm like, a, I'm high spin, but I'm low slot. I, no one's ever taught me to throw high in the zone. I don't really have good command of the fastball high in the zone. You know, I can go there sometimes, but I, it's not my, it's not a wheelhouse. And so he was missing. He was trying to go high. He was missing middle. And then he said, also, by the way, I don't really throw a slider. You think I throw a slider? I throw a hard curveball. I throw a hard curveball and a softer curveball. And if you're asking me to throw my hard curveball in the zone, the mechanics of it totally change. Like I yank that thing. And that's why it has all that movement. If you're asking me to sort of aim higher, it becomes a cement mixer. And the numbers on a slider uh, in New York were awful. Uh, his command really suffered when he was trying to throw in places he'd never thrown before. And um, I think, you know, I have some sympathy for Larry Rothschild, his pitching coach at the time, because I have no idea what the siloing, what what sort of back and forth there was. Maybe he communicated what Sonny was saying to the front office and they ignored him. Uh, maybe there was no line of communication. Maybe Sonny, you know, Sonny could be an irascible guy too. Maybe Sonny just wasn't telling his pitching coach any of this. Uh, but he told me. And so he, he was telling somebody, you know, he was well, talking thank about God it. He, was, he told you. <laughs> but but it does tell us, but it tells us a little bit about like he had these thoughts. Yeah. If somebody was listening if there was a more collaborative process, that's the whole thing right there to me is if the manager says something or the player says something, listen, if you say, Oh, you know, 
we figured out that you can you can you can save uh we can save five runs or we can win one more game a year if you run this route around the around the bases and we put the cones out and and you put the cones out and then an older player says yo man i can't run like this what are you talking about i've been playing baseball for you know 25 years you want me to run this thing well blow an acl if one person says that to you, you gotta be like, all right, all right, all right, let's 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 soften the lines, let's do this, let's let's look at it again, you know. You gotta listen to people. And I think that the one place where smaller market teams can actually um outdo the bigger market teams is teamwork, collaboration, listening to each other. Yeah, in layman's terms, athletes perform better when they're comfortable. You can yeah. help them get better, but if you're just sending some edict down from somewhere in this sandbox saying you must do this because this is what the data says. And as an athlete, you don't feel comfortable doing that in the heat of battle. You know, you just don't go tell Tiger Woods, Hey, this is how you should swing the club when you're at the masters. And you know, no Tiger's got to feel comfortable when he's in the heat of battle with what he's doing with the golf ball what a quarterback's doing when he's throwing the football and he's reading defenses and the biggest, strongest, fastest humans are coming to knock his head off. Guys got to feel comfortable. And if data people don't understand that, then you're right. Not working together. And Uh, what did, and what did Cincinnati do with Sonny Gray? Put him together with his college coach. Comfortable. Just said, Hey, here, we'll, we'll put you in front of the machines. We'll try to have a plan, but you know, do it, do you and do you is the best you can do. And we'll try to, we'll be here to help. Uh, this is this is going to be fabulous every single week because, I mean, we're already almost 16 minutes in and we've just been rapping, right? It's awesome. Uh, we'll end on this. I've got, I've got people tugging at me. I know how I feel about Judge versus Otani. It's clearly a two-horse race. And it was just great for baseball to have them play each other, especially on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when everybody in sports now is focusing on training camp and all that kind of, you know, the NFL starting, college football starting, it was really a good shot for baseball to have Yankees, Angels, you know, earlier in the week when really no one would care. How should we look at, in your opinion, when judging the most valuable player in the American League, how should we judge Otani versus Judge versus Otani, because they may not be apples to apples in a comparison. Yeah, and even as a pitching guy, I don't love uh, pitching wins above replacement. I mean, the easy answer would be that the whole idea of wins above replacement is to sum up everything that the player does on the field and sum it into one number runs and then turn that into wins above replacement. Uh, The problem is that just judging what a pitcher, how good a pitcher is, is really tough because – uh, every ball in play, uh, the, there's teamwork involved. You know, uh, the, you know their defense comes to the plate every time. You know they let a, allow a ball in play, and if you ignore all balls in play, then you're also not judging the pitcher very well because he, some pitchers get a ton of ground balls, some pitchers get a ton of weak fly balls, and those things are true. Um, but um, you know, I, I don't love any one pitching war. I think the wins of replacement helps us sort of group players. But what you do, what you see when you do that, you add up Shoyotani, what he does, you get about a seven. And when you add up Judge, you get about an eight. So maybe Judge should just get it this year. Um, I don't know. It, it's very difficult because, you know, that that pitching number is, is suspect. Otani is 
maybe one of the three best pitchers in the American League this year. So if you're in line to be in the Cy Young and also are an all-star as a hitter, why aren't you the MVP every year? Can I give you one thing? I'm just a defense attorney that has to poke holes in everybody's theory. Mm. All right? You're the jury. I've been saying this to people, and when I say it, they go, oh. Because right now, to me, Shohei Otani is the bearded lady at the circus. Everybody wants to go see the bearded lady, right? The bearded lady's great. There was a point where we were all sitting around talking about, oh, my God, Trout and Otani in the postseason. This could be incredible for baseball. All of a sudden, the Angels took an absolute dive. Had a horrible month. Lost 14 straight. Franchise record. Lost 14 straight. Their season was over. Joe Madden, who you mentioned, now gets fired from his dream job. In that time is when you need your best players, Trout and Otani, to keep you from losing 14 straight games. That's what MVPs do. But it was early in the season, so we've now all forgotten about that. Eno, during that 14-game losing streak, Otani hit a buck 92. Two home runs, four RBIs, and this whole pitcher, oh, he was 0-2 with a 9 ERA. When I needed my guys the most to help my season, and at this point we now realize, save your season, nowhere to be found. Does that sound like an MVP to you? Uh, the numbers have not been able to show that clutch exists. Uh, and also, um, you're looking backwards at a moment. Uh, would you have, would, if, if I told you he had a bad stretch in May, would you say he's unclutch? You know what I mean? Well, like you're looking back at it now. I would say this once again, I just, I, I don't have to have answers. I'm a defense uh-huh. attorney. I just have to poke <laughs> holes. If the Yankees lost 14 in a row and Aaron Boone got fired and Aaron judge didn't do anything. Well, I, Aaron judge hasn't been you know, fully judge in and the Yankees well, have been th- falling back. Th- that happens throughout the year. But if he had a stretch like that and his manager got fired, how we would highlight that, that also just kinds of show the pressure of playing in New York and performing in New York. We now applaud Otani. Oh, he had nine strikeouts against the Rangers on a Tuesday night when nobody mm. cared and they're 20 games out. If Aaron Judge had a stretch like that, for the Yankees, people would have flipped out. For Otani, he had a stretch. His team's out of it. His manager got fired, and no one even remembers. Except me. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that you're talking about, um, which is quality of opponent, which is not adjusted for in uh, in wins above replacement. And um, maybe it could be. I think it's – if you do think about it, uh, beating up on the Rangers – um, or, you know, you know, whatever team it is, uh, you don't, it doesn't look good. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't look as good as, as, you know, beating the blue Jays or the Rays in the heat of a, of a race. It's a, it doesn't. And there's one stat that does, uh, you know, sort of sum this up in a really interesting way, which is it's called win probability added. And so what it's asking is, uh, who added the most win probability? Like, you know, who, who made his team more likely to win? And guess who leads the league? It's Aaron Judge uh, by a ton, uh, by a whole win over Manny Machado, 
and uh, a whole win and a half over Yordan Alvarez. Where's um, Otani in that? Yeah, let me see. It's hard to see because he doesn't doesn't show up at the very top of either, so you have to kind of add them all together. Uh, but uh, Judge has added over almost six wins in win probability added, um, and Otani has added uh, 1.7 as a batter. And oh, he doesn't even come close to Judge. No, I don't think so. Wow. Uh, 1.7 as a batter and uh, 2.3. So he's at three, four. And Judge so is at he's, six. He's below Alvarez. He's he's like fourth in this. Wow. Uh, that 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 thinks about like you know who performs at what time in the game and how important is the situation. So that has a little bit of what you're asking about. But there are no numbers that I know of that really uh, 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 that adjust for quality of opponent in their wins above replacement. All right, let's end on this. We're about to have a heat wave. People still want to drink beer in a heat wave. What is the best style of beer during a heat wave? I'm big on Pilsners. When it's hot, I want a Pilsner. Um, And sometimes it's a little bit bitter for people, but for me, lager is a little bit sweet. There are a lot of pretty sweet lagers out there. So I'm a big fan of Pilsners in the in the heat. I like a little bit of bitter and it just feels like so like watery, refreshing and crisp. So I'm that uh, have a Pilsner this this heat wave. Yeah, it's tough to go IPAs in a heat wave. It's like, ugh. yeah, they're sweet, too. Right. But it's just it's just it's, it's just there's something about I mean, it something about lighter that's easier in a heat wave. Yeah. That's the, my science. Uh, that's my scientific data right there. <laughs> Fieldwork has a Hills and Valley American Pilsner, five percent uh, on tap in most places. That's that's right there for me, five percent. This you is know. this is going to be awesome. It, we, you know, we can almost we're almost kind of like your guinea pig too. It's like whatever you're working on, you can throw it at us to see how the reaction is going to be before you go national on the athletic with something. I mean, you can utilize us as your guinea pig. Yeah, maybe I'll look into quality of opponent and see see how much that changes the American the the American League uh, MVP race. You now make this show so much better. We appreciate it, my friend. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.